Well, I am glad that you're here this morning. My name is Ken. I'm the location pastor here at West Bridgewater, and I am excited about our new, uh, our new series. I'm excited and I'm nervous. Can you be both? Because I am. Um, so I'm going to give a disclaimer. The next two weeks, uh, the sermons, the talks, are going to be PG adult. Okay, so if you have a little one, uh, especially uh, elementary, uh, unless you're wanting to have conversations afterwards, that, that's up to you. Uh, today we are talking about gender and the confusion that is in our culture. And I saw people go, ooh, yeah. So if this is your first time to Grace Church, welcome. <laughs> you probably didn't think you were coming to a talk on gender. This is my second week on the job. Didn't think I'd be talking about gender. But here we are. We can, all, we can both be excited and, and nervous at the same time. And maybe you're a long time at Grace Church and you're nervous for me. I had people like that as well. Um, but, but so I'm giving that disclaimer so as you as, as a parent can make the decision whether you want to keep your child here in, in the service or, or go to Grace Church. The second uh, disclaimer, uh, I actually have three. So if you look around, you can see that this service is full. It's full. If a family of four came, they'd be sitting on the, on the uh, stage here with me. And that would be very uncomfortable for them and for you. And so I'm going to ask, and this is the season where our church typically begins to grow. And so I'm going to ask you, those that are part of Grace Church family, have been part of Grace Church family, you are on mission, you love Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pick a different service. Now, I know that that's not convenient. You're here because this time is convenient. But we know typically that this is uh, like prime time and more people are going to come at this service. So I'm asking you, uh, for, for the love of, of God and for people, if you would be willing to move to an earlier service or a later service, or we can just add another fourth service. And everybody's like, ah, I, I know, I know. So that's, that's the second disclaimer. Here's the, here's the third one. The talk today on gender and identity uh, was helped shaped by a pastor friend of ours in Texas. And so he did this a series on this. And so we just asked, hey, man, your talk was so good. Can we use it? Uh, so like when you write a paper, you've got to quote your sources. So this is uh, part of our, our message today. It comes from Lake Point. Uh, it's a partner church of ours. And uh, if you want more information, you can go to Lake Point, um, their website, and, and you'll get more information. They have resources. So they're a mega church. Uh, they have a large staff that was able to compile blogs and articles and stuff like that. And if you want resources on this specific topic, text the word MORE, M-O-R-E, to 20411. And uh, they will, from their website, it won't, won't say grace on it, they will send you information, blogs, articles, things like that. So I say, why are we doing this series? Like, why would you, like, I didn't pick it. I did not pick the series. You picked the series. You're like, I, we did, yeah. We sent out a survey a couple months ago, and we asked people, what is it that you want to talk about? And it was anonymous, so you gave hard questions. Like, you, like what about this? What about this? What about this? Because if we asked you to put your name on it, you wouldn't have asked the tough questions. So whenever there's tough questions, what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm asking for a friend. Like, this is not what I want to know. I already, I already know, but my friend wants to know. Anybody ever done that? 
I've done that all the time. So we said, make it anonymous. So the series is called Asking for a Friend. Here are some of the questions that have shaped today's teaching. So what we did is we took the 400 responses and we compiled them into categories, which is why the topic we're talking about today was probably the number one question. So here's some of the questions that people from Grace Church asked. I'm just going to read your questions. I love my gay friend. How can I love them and believe that how they live is wrong? That's a, that's a great question. That is a very good question. Can a Christian be gay or transgender? And what do I do with family members who are? How do I talk to my kids about this issue? How is being LGBTQ wrong if God created me this way? Again, that is a great question. How should we talk to our kids about this, about the confusion that's going on in our world? The last question is, what sexual things are okay and not okay? That's next week. And that's Dan. Dan, I said, you're going to get to have fun too. I was like, it's not all on me, baby. You, you're going to help, and that's the topic you get next week. You're welcome. So you be praying for Dan this week. He said, why, why are we talking about this? I mean, why, why, why are people asking questions about this? And here, here's the reality, because we're all faced with this issue. This is something that people that we love and care about, things that are going on in our schools and in our community, people are talking about that. And we as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, we just can't put our head in the sand and not address the issue. We, we can't. And so we have to. And I want you to know, as your pastor, my heart breaks for people who are wrestling with this for people they love. Like, I can't imagine a family member or a close friend that is, that is going through this because I, I can't imagine that they feel alone. I can't imagine that they feel confused. I'm sure they've experienced hurt, and maybe even from Christians or the church. I definitely know that that's a reality. I've heard people say that. So how do we, as people who love God and love our friends, how do we navigate this in a way that honors God, but also is healthy and helpful to our friends? That's my goal today. That's my hope today. So how do we move forward without compromising truth, but in love? Luckily, we have the Bible, and the Bible tells us how we can do that. So the first verse we're going to look at is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, so instead, so that verse, that verse, first word in that verse tells us there's something he said before the verse that you need to pay attention to. And the verse before, he says, there are going to be people who do not like you, uh, there are going to be people who don't like this talk. Uh, they could be hurtful. They could be mean. He says, but don't be afraid of their threats. That's the verse before this. He says, instead, this is your response, you as a follower of Jesus. Your response is, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you for the hope that uh, you as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do it in two different ways, with gentleness and respect. So as a person who says, I love God, my responsibility 
is not to change what you believe. It's not. And it's not your, your job to change your friends' beliefs. It is your job to give an answer for what you believe. And if I'm going to be honest, I know there are people who claim to love God that do a poor job of explaining how or what they believe. And it's not because they hate people. It's because their passion comes across as aggression. And so any passion that I have today, I want you to know, does not come from aggression. It comes from a love and a brokenness that I have for people who struggle. I am not against anyone because God is not against anyone. I want you to hear that. God is not against you. He's not against me in my brokenness. So he says, the first thing you need to do, though, as a follower of Jesus is Christ, the Bible, needs to be Lord of your life, which he's simply saying is that needs to be the authority of your life. What you believe and how you live should be shaped by God's word. So that when someone asks you a question, you're able to give them an answer. I feel like that's my primary responsibility to you, is to equip you to have conversations that honor God and that are helpful to your friends. That's my job, and I count it a privilege and a joy to do that. But notice he said, when they ask. There are a lot of Christians that like to stick their nose in people's business that were not invited. And if that's you, please be sensitive. We don't need you thinking that you need to like change people. That, like, you do not have to change someone's beliefs. That's not your responsibility. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to love people and give them the answer for why I believe what I believe in a way that makes them feel loved, even if they don't agree. They should feel loved by me. Here's the crazy thing. Jesus met with people that did not believe the way he believed. And they kept coming back. He's like, did you not hear my answer to your last question? You should be leaving. Like, like I, I, I talk straight to you. And I want to be that way to you this morning. I don't want to baby Christians. Because if you baby Christians, you get baby Christians. So I, I want to speak to you plainly, lovingly, but straightforward. But he says, do it in gentleness. So we are not against people. Grace Church is not against people. We're not. That's not who we're fighting. The Bible tells us who we are actually against. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people. It's against evil rulers and against authorities in an unseen world, against the mighty powers of darkness, against the evil spirits. So we don't fight against people. We love God and we love people. What we are against and what we push back on are false and harmful ideologies. That's what we push back on. That's what we have conversations about. But we do so with respect and love. So how do we explore this? How do we navigate this touchy, this difficult, and this complicated subject? We're going to start in the very first book of the Bible. God knew that this would be something that we would all deal with and struggle with, so he's like, let me just start on page one. Thank you, Jesus. Genesis chapter one. 
uh, starting in verse number 26, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. He says, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and livestock, and all the wild animals, flip the page, on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So there are four truths from this passage of scriptures, these three verses that we read, that we are going to discuss the next two weeks. We're only going to discuss two. The first two that we're going to discuss. Here's the first truth. Mankind was created in the image of God. That's something that you need to know. You were created in the image of God. And when you read the rest of that passage, he says, you are good. You're very good. Like he created everything. He says, that's good, that's good, that's good. He creates mankind as the pinnacle of his creation. And he says, you are very good. So what God calls good, I have no right to call anything but good. Right? Like, it's good. Now, I'm messed up, and we can be messed up, but we're still creating the image of God, and he says that we are good. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 139, verse 13. You made me, I'm sorry, you made all the delicate, I'm sorry, let me start again. You made all the delicate and inner parts of my body. You knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your craftsmanship is marvelous. This verse came to mind two weeks ago because uh, I, I had my first grandson. Now, I didn't do anything. My daughter did it all. But I'm holding my grandson, Jackson James, and I'm like, you are marvelous. Like, I can't believe that you were inside my daughter, and now you're here, and you are, you are wonderful. Now, that passage, I mean, I'm hoping the psalmist is saying, God, you are marvelous, your craftsmanship is marvelous. And he can go, look at this. This is marvelous. Okay. I hope he say, God, you are marvelous. And so what God calls marvelous, what God calls beautiful, what God calls lovely is what I should be calling. Last week we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And that verse says that God says, you are a masterpiece. That he created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you could do the things that he planned for you long ago. So Jackson, I'm holding Jackson in my hands, and God says, Ken, before you even knew he would ever exist, before you ever existed, I knew he would exist. And I have a plan for his life, and he is wonderful. And I'm hoping to be able to discover that with him. But here's what breaks my heart. There are people in our culture that do not see themselves as wonderful. They don't see themselves as a masterpiece of God because they've allowed something else to define them. They've allowed culture to define them. They've allowed their brokenness, their addictions to define them. They've allowed their past to define them. They've allowed other people and what the other people think about them to define them. And when you do that, you approach yourself and how you think about yourself completely different. Now, I'm not in recovery, but I know people who are. And I know that what I, I hear, typically what happens is when someone goes to a recovery program, when they introduce themselves, they say, hi, my name is Ken. 
I'm a, and you fill in your addiction, whatever you're struggling with. And so they, that's what they identify with. And that shapes everything. Your identity shapes everything. It shapes how you make decisions, what you think about yourself, all that. You say, well, that's just semantics. Well, let me ask you this. Like if you went to two different recovery programs, one was Christian, one was not. And one says, okay, 12-step program, Christian 12-step program. Would there be a difference? Yeah, there's a supposition that this one's different because of what it identifies with. And we have a program here at Grace Church, West Bridgewater. It's on Saturday mornings, Life Recovery. It's a Christian program. It approaches recovery in a way that other programs don't. But our identity defines us. So what the Bible says, uh, Galatians chapter 3, it says, all who have been united with Christ are baptized in Christ. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you're in Christ. He says, so it's like you're putting on a new cloak. He says, you're no longer Jew, Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ. So is the Bible saying that when you become a Christian, you're no longer Jewish? You're no longer Italian? You're no longer Irish? No, it's not saying that. What it's saying is what primarily identifies you is your identity in Christ. You're still Irish. You're, you're still Italian. You're still whatever nationality what ethnicity you are, what gender you are, what station in life, you're still that. He says, but your primary is Christ. So here's the key that you need to understand. Your identity is either going to be shaped by the word of God or the world. Like, which is your authority? We all have an authority in our life. And for some of us, it's what the world, the culture says about us, is what our friends say about us. And it might even be what I say about me. I'm my authority. Like, I own me. This is my body. I do what I want with it. That is what our culture says. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says something different. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You must, so you, you don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. What was that price? Christ's body. So Christ's body died to pay for your sins, so we are to offer our bodies to Christ. So culture doesn't define me. Now, it does impact me. It does shape me. I live in a culture, but it doesn't define me. My past doesn't define me because I've put on Christ. That has been forgiven. My mistakes don't define me. They impact me, but they don't define me. If you are a follower of Jesus, your past, your mistakes, your addictions do not define you. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are wanted. You are forgiven. You are a, piece, you are a masterpiece. And you are a child of God. That's who God says you are. And a person who lives that way lives differently. My desires change. They do. At my age, my desire it's completely different than when I was in my 20s. And so to go just by my desires, they're going to change all the time. Freedom comes through Christ, not through my feelings. 1 Corinthians 5.17. This means those who belong to Christ have become a new person. This is why I'm no longer defined by my past or my mistakes. That life is gone. Like it's buried. It's forgiven. I belong to Christ. We can hold truth 
and we can embrace our friends who are struggling with the truth that we believe in a way that honors God and is loving towards them. And it begins with, I think it starts with you. It starts with how you live your life. Like it's really hard. Well, no, it's easy. It's easy to see other people and where they mess up. You got people like that in your life, always telling you about how you mess up, but they never look at themselves. The Bible actually talks about that. It's the, it's the speck in someone else's eye and the log in your own. So I would say before you start getting into other people's business, you need to deal with your business because it's really hard to be authentic and tell people where they struggle when you're not willing to deal with your struggle. So let's just be real. Let's deal with ours. That gives us the, the uh, authenticity to be able to lovingly talk to people about difficult issues. Okay? So it starts with us. It starts with our heart. It starts how we live our lives. And then I would say, you need to pray for them. Pray that God's spirit would work in their life. The spirit, it's his job to change someone's mind, not yours. So I pray, God, like, work in their life. Just like in Leslie's life. He worked in her life, and, and she changed her mind. That's awesome. The second truth that we see from this scripture is that God created us male and female. God created gender. So I want to pause here because I understand that this is a very touchy and can be a very painful topic. I recognize that, and that's why I'm trying to be so sensitive and loving and caring. Okay, And I appreciate that I'm not getting the death stare right now. I appreciate that. But God created us, and he created us male and female. And I know that in our culture, that can be very difficult. You say, why? So just imagine that growing up, you're a male, and you never felt, you never felt like you fit in. You always felt awkward. You always felt like you didn't fit in because the things that you enjoyed, the things that you're passionate about, are not the things that other boys were passionate about. Like, they're, they're into sports, they're into trucks, they're into MMA, they're, in, they're into action movies, and that's just not you. Like, like you don't, like, I don't get why they, people like that. Or you're a girl, and you're like, I just don't feel like I fit in. I feel awkward at, around other girls. Like, I, I don't do the things that girls do. Now, I'm not a girl, so this is just going to be a stereotype, okay? But girls like to wear dresses, and they like to paint their nails, and they like makeup, and they like Hallmark movies. Okay, I might be wrong. I'm not a girl. I don't know, right? But that's a stereotype, right? So if, if you're not that, that's fine. Like, if you're a girl and you like to hunt and fish and ride motorcycles, you're not weird. You're awesome. In my book, you're awesome. That just means you don't fit the stereotype. You know what? I don't fit the stereotype of a pastor. I don't. So when people find out I'm a pastor, because that's not how I lead. Hey, my name's Ken, I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't lead that way because then I wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> but I'll talk to people, and when they find out I'm a pastor, they're like, well, you're a pastor? Not because I'm doing anything that is not like disqualifying, disqualifying me from being a pastor. They're just like, you seem normal. <laughs> and to that I say, you just don't know me well enough yet. <laughs> but like, you ride motorcycles, and you do this, and like... Pastors do that? I was like, well, this one does. But that doesn't mean that I'm not a pastor. I just don't fit the stereotype, and I'm fine with that. I hope that you're fine with that too. But it can be painful. 
If you're a person who has a child or a loved one in your life and they're like, I, I want you to call me by a different pronoun, I can only imagine what's going on in, in your life. Like, I know what society says I have to do. I've talked to family members, to, to parents, and they're like, I feel like culture is, is forcing me to affirm. And I, and I don't know where I'm at yet, but I, I'm struggling with that. And people are telling me that if I don't affirm them, that I'm hating my child. I don't hate my child. I love my child. Or that, or that if they kill themselves, it's on me. I've actually heard someone tell their child, you have two options. Either you can have a dead son or a live daughter because you need to affirm them. I'm like, that is horrible. And this is, this is what we're wrestling with. This is why my, my heart breaks for people because it's real and people are dealing with this. And then they come to church and they feel judged. Like this should be the place where people come and feel loved by people who have been loved and accepted because we have been accepted. I am a hypocrite if I can't love and welcome somebody because that's what I want. Now, that also does mean that I can't affirm everything that everyone believes or lives. I, I can't do that. And for a person to say, well, if you can't affirm that, you hate me, then we need to start our definition with what, what, what love is. Let's start there, because I think we have a different working definition of love. Love does not mean that I have to affirm everything you believe and do. I don't affirm everything that I believe and do sometimes, right? I have to constantly check myself. So I want to, I want to define our terms. The first term is sex. And these are not ours. This is where we borrowed some of the definitions. And these are authors and some books that if you want, uh, I, I'd say get them. They, they address this issue. So sex, male or female, typically referring to the chromosomes, the inner, uh, our inner, inner uh, reproductive anatomy, or our external uh, genitalia. So when a person is born, when Jackson came out of my daughter, they said, it's a boy. <laughs> they didn't say, we're going to have him decide, which I, there are people that, that do that. And, and again, this is, I'm not shaming. I'm, not, I'm just saying that they said, this is a boy. So your, your, your sex is identified. It's not assigned by God because you're created in his image and he created us male and female. The second term is gender identity. So there's sex Gender. It's a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine. So this is where we get the disconnect because they're disconnecting sex and gender. That's what our culture is doing right now. Um, that is the foundation of our culture and the transgender movement. And so they're saying, like, if what you think about yourself doesn't match your biological, then you're transgender. And I would say, no, that just means that I don't identify with the stereotype that we've placed on that gender. And stereotypes change all the time. They do. So I'm going to read a quote. This is from a ladies' magazine from 1918. It said, pink, being a more decided and strong color, is more suitable for boys. And that's why real men can wear pink. 
It says, while blue is more delicate and dainty and is preferred by girls. That was the culture in 1918. When you read the Bible, you see they did things in the Bible that are culturally now different. Did you know in the Bible that men greeted each other with a kiss? Do not do that to me in the lobby. <laughs> I'm glad that that changed. We shake hands now. Now, I know some cultures, they, they kiss one another, but typically they know each other, right? So I'm glad that changed. But when you read the Bible, you say, well, that, that, was, that was back then. It was cultural. It was, it was stereotypes, which leads to where the confusion comes from. And this is the next definition. That's gender dysphoria. So sex, gender, where is the disconnect? This is a sense that there is a mismatch between our sex, which is our body, our desires, and our psychological gender identity, which is our mind. And this is where people are struggling in our, in our culture. It's like, this is, this is the frustration. It's like, it's, it's not working, and I don't know why it's not working, and, I, and I'm confused, and, and people are against me, and God doesn't love me, and people who say they love God don't love me, and there's so much hurt. But I want you to know that this Mix match is not a transgender issue. It is a human issue. It is a mankind issue. Paul said this in Romans chapter 7. I love God's law with all my heart. Here's the word. It's the authority in my life. I love it with all my heart. He says, but there's another power that's inside of me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin, and it's still within me. He says, oh, what a miserable, confused person. And I can imagine that it is confusing. And it is, he's not saying that he's a mistake. He's just saying, I'm, I'm conflicted about this. He says, I want to be free. I want to be happy. I don't want to be dominated by, by this anymore. He says in verse 25, thank God. There is an answer to this but it's found not in the world, it's found in the word. And that's where, we, that's where we wrestle. So I want you to know I wrestle. Every day I wrestle with conflicting what I believe and what my desires are. Today is my wedding anniversary. Been married 29 years because she's a saint. <laughs> But I want you to know, every day I fight lust. I do. Because I'm a man. And God has given me eyes. And I have desires. And I have to fight that every single day. And that's the conflict that goes on in my heart and my mind. And I don't want people judging me because... Because I wore that, I wore hard because I know that for me to give in to my desires, which our world says, well, if you desire it, go for it. For me to do that would destroy my marriage. It would crush my wife. It would crush my kids. It would crush my relationship with you. I, I couldn't be a pastor if I gave in to my desires. So I wore every day. It's not a transgender thing. It is a human thing. And I don't care if you're male or female. Females, you know that. You war against your mind, your desires, what, what you know to be true and what, what you desire. We war against that. 
Transgender, which leads me to the transgender definition. It's the umbrella term for many people's experience of gender identity and how they express it. So the world's view says, okay, we're going to compartmentalize your personhood. So your mind is your person. Your body is separate. So they compartmentalize. So this has value. This has morality. This has legality. This does not. The body does not, which is actually not a new, new idea. This is ancient agnosticism. Ancient Gnosticism, which was around in Jesus' day, was, yes, your mind and your spirit are, that is spiritual. Your body is physical. It's not, they're not connected. So what you do in your body does not affect your spirit. So people separated the two. And what our culture says is, if your mind says this and your body disagrees, change your body. That's what our culture says. And that's why there are people having surgeries and, and blockers and they're doing all different things to their body because who they are is what they think about themselves. This is why people have no problem with abortion. And this topic is not about abortion, but you can see the logic behind it because that is not a person yet. It's just a clump of cells. They're not a person yet. And that's what they say it's not a person because they separate the two, the body and the mind. But the Bible's view of personhood is that you're created in the image of God and you are wonderfully made. It is good, but it is your body, your soul, and your mind. It doesn't separate the two. And so what the word of God says is if, if the two don't match, you don't change the body, you change the mind. Listen to Romans chapter 12. In verse 1 and 2, it says, So dear brothers and sisters, now he is talking to Christians, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way that you worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. It's not the authority of your life. But let God transform you into a new person by doing what? Changing the way that you think changing your mind. And when your mind changes, then you find what is good and purposeful and, and peaceful. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Paul's talking here again. He says, so letting my desires, the, the inward part that struggles, letting it control my mind leads to hurt. It leads to pain. It leads to confusion. But letting God's spirit, his word, control my mind Look what it leads to, peace and life. This is the one area where people have separated the disconnection. And they say, go with, go with the mind and not the body. Theologically, it says, go with the mind, change the mind, change the body. So let me be, let me be logical here. I'm going to give you an illustration. I was theological, read you the scriptures. Let's do logical. If a person went into their doctors and they were anorexic, 85 pounds, and they say, Doc, I feel fat. The doctor wouldn't say, you know what? Okay, then let's change the body. Let's staple your stomach. 
Let's put you on a restricted diet. Start giving all this diet plans. They wouldn't do that. The person's 80 pounds. What would a doctor do? We need to help you change how you see yourself. Your mind needs to change because we can't do that. Does that make sense? But we would do that in every other area of our life except for when it comes to our sexuality. What about people who've already transitioned? And maybe you know someone who is transgender, non-binary, or they're in the process of it. Does God still love them? I want you to know that's probably the question they're asking themselves. That's the thing they're doubting. Like, I look at this, they feel like there's a mismatch. And because they've had a bad experience at church and we represent God, God must also not love me. But does God? There is a beautiful, beautiful story in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, a Holy Spirit or the angel of God comes to Philip and says, I need you to go to Jerusalem. He's like, that's a 60-mile walk. Why do you want me to go? He's like, just start walking. I hate when God does that. <laughs> you start walking. So he starts walking to Jerusalem, and on the way from Jerusalem is this guy in this chariot, and he's a eunuch. Look at verse number 27. So he starts out, and he meets the treasury of Ethiopia, a eunuch who has great authority because he's connected with the queen. And the eunuch was, he had gone to Jerusalem to worship God. That was his purpose. I'm going there. Now, whether he was of Jewish descent or whether he was trying out this religion or whatever it is, he was going there to worship God. And now he was returning and he was seated in his carriage and he was reading the book of Isaiah. Now, I want you to know the context of this story. A eunuch in Bible times was a person who had their genitalia either cut off, crushed, or pierced for the purpose of working with the, the harem or the, or the queen, and the king could fully trust this person because their genitalia would not work. Now, whether this was voluntarily he did it or whether it was forced on him, he, he has been altered. And he went to Jerusalem to worship the God that he was created in the image of. And most likely, he was turned away when he went to the temple. Because you were not allowed into the temple if you were sick, if you were lame, if you had leprosy, or if you were a eunuch. So here's a man who traveled thousands of miles to have an encounter with God, only to have the religious people of his day say, you are not welcome here. No shoes, no shirt, no service. And I know there are people who have gone to churches. And there's not a sign on the door that says no shoes, no shirt, no service. But they walk in and they don't feel loved by the people who have been loved and forgiven and accepted. And I say, shame on us. Here's the beautiful part. He's reading Isaiah. Like how many of us have read the book of Isaiah? And he's reading chapter 55. 
I brought tissue because I, this, this story all week long has just, it amazes me how good God is. And it reminds me of how good God's to me. And I am a hypocrite if I am not good to other people because God has been good to me. So he's reading Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 says this, and it's referring to Christ. And he doesn't understand why he's reading it, and that's why Philip has come along to explain it to him. So he's reading, he says, but he, he being Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be made whole, and he was whipped so that we could be healed. So the man who was turned away by religious leaders because he was crushed or pierced is accepted by a God who was crushed, who was cut, beaten, and pierced for us. Is that not amazing? That that would be the story that that this man sees and hears out of all the scriptures that he could have read, that's the one that God's spirit points him to. And I know that Philip, because he's a man of God, didn't stop there. Most likely he would have gone to chapter 56 and verse four through six and it says this. This is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who worship me. He says, uh, what they do pleases me and I will commit to their lives. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name that is far greater than what the sons or daughters could give them. For the name that I give them will be an everlasting one. So I want to say to you, and you need to say to people, whoever it is in your life, that they can have a personal relationship with God. God does not hate them. But they are never going to feel the love of God if they don't feel your love. So the conversation has to start with you and your heart and putting aside your biases so that you can love them. I always thought that was crazy that these people that completely disagreed with Jesus wanted to be around Jesus. And he didn't pull punches. He talked to them straight. He talked to them like adults. But he always did it respectfully and in love. And I think that's why they were attracted to him. See, it's real easy to get on Facebook or Twitter and turn people off. Don't do that. Love, respect. But love and respect does not mean that you have to affirm everything a person believes. That's not what love means. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Here's the good news. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your biggest mistake. You are not defined by your addiction. And you are not defined by your confusion. You're not defined by your scars. You are defined by his scars. His scars. And what he says about you is true. What your family says about you may not be true. What your friends say about you may not be true. What our culture says about you may not be true.
But what God says about you is 100% true. And that is life-giving. And it is those who are representatives of God on this earth, we need to step up and live a life that displays love to people who don't agree with us. That's fine. But they better feel loved by you. Because that's what Jesus would do. When you're invited into that conversation, approach it prayerfully, approach it carefully, and approach it lovingly. You're not, you're not, your, your goal is not to win an argument. Your goal is for them to feel loved by you and loved by God. If you can do that, you will have way more healthy conversations with people that don't, that don't believe like you. And they'll come back for more conversations because they know you're going to be honest, but you're also going to be respectful. That's what I hope you took away from today's teaching. God, thank you that I am not defined by my past. It influences, but it does not define me. My worst mistake in life does not define me. God, I have been forgiven. I am loved and I am accepted. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a human being created in your image. And you sent your son to die on the cross, to be pierced, crushed, bruised, whipped, beaten, to pay for all my scars and all my sin. God, that is the hope and help that we offer. May we live it each and every day through our actions and our conversations. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm.